We're talking about what did Jesus teach or preach, part number two. I've been looking forward to this for a really, really long time. And uh, if you remember last time we left off, um, one of the things that Jesus taught was the, the parable of the sower. So he taught that uh, at one place. He was teaching that to the multitudes. And so this is how the kingdom of God works. One of the things that you'll find that when Jesus preached, he always talked about the kingdom. And so um, there are a lot of kingdoms, but, but he comes from the kingdom that now you're a part of. He is the king of that kingdom. So a lot of times what the Lord talked about was kingdom principles, kingdom living, how to operate in the kingdom. And he's saying this, if you don't get this parable, you're not going to understand any parable. In other words, if you're not, you got to understand this. So he talked about the word of God. And we looked at that last week. And um, I've had a lot of comments about last week about the message. But I'm telling you, the Lord downloaded that to me in about 15 minutes. And so I know that one's going to preach forever. Um, it's just going to be something because the word has to be the foundation. Jesus is the word. He said, heaven and earth will pass away and my words will do what? Never pass away. Right? And so he said, you got to get the seed. The, the word of God will never return void, but it'll always accomplish. The Bible says out of the issues of your heart, Proverbs says, that, that that's what determines your life. And so the seed of the word of God, you can never devalue the word of God. And I know we call it the Bible, but this is the living word of God. This is the living word of God. It's a double-edged sword. It'll fillet your soul and spirit. What I mean by that, it, it's the only thing to divide. It's, this is the only way. Jesus said, my words, their spirit and their life. This has got to become your life. That's why you've got to do whatever you've got to do to get this in you. Not just on Sunday mornings. Come on, we say it this way. Uh, you wouldn't feed your physical body one meal a week. And I try to give you a hot one. So even, you know, a good one on Sunday morning, you wouldn't eat just once a week. You know, take a look at me. You realize I did not eat just one time a week. Don't get quiet on me. Do whatever you got to do to keep this word in you. It's not what you have heard. It's what you are hearing. Amen. And because what you are hearing will give you the faith that is necessary for that day. For the, whatever you got going on in your life. So Jesus said, you got to know this one. Um, the sower sows the word. Who's the sower? Well, he's the original sower. I'm a sower, but you're the best sower in your own life. So get the word and put it in there. So how do y'all good? So I saw this, and I, I just love studying this, and, and I'm getting even more and more excited about it. But what I found out is it's too big. It's too much. And so I was like a little bit like, Lord, what are we going to do? So he, the Holy Ghost helped me kind of break this down. So um, I see the Lord teaching. I think I'm going to add one to it. I don't know if I said it last week. I knew it. But the Lord taught to multitudes. And what you're going to find, really, there's not a lot that he taught to a whole multitude. You see him having compassion on the multitudes, uh, uh, um, healing the sick in the multitudes, casting out demons in the multitudes. But really his teaching to the multitudes that are given to us in the Gospels is there's really not that many. You would expect a whole lot more. 
But really then, the second one, which really to me looks like one of the most things he said, is he was always answering the religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What I've come to learn is how much the Lord Jesus had a disdain for religion. And those who have perverted the word of God. Those who have put uh, conditions on men and women that the, the person saying it didn't even keep. They, 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 they strained the life out of God's word. There was no life in it. And he despised it. And so he, he I would say this, and I, I don't know if I'll ever have to take it back. He hated religion. He was angry about it. And then we see that there were times that he taught his disciples. Well, a lot of times when you see disciples, you think 12. But he had 12 disciples. He had 70 others. He had all those people. He appeared to over 500 when he was raised from the dead. Jesus had um, a good following everywhere he went. And so those, when it says disciples, that's what it's talking about. It's a really large group. And so it's not 12. It's not, it could be the 12 and the 70 in different times. And then he always taught to individuals. Even while he was doing things, uh, ministering to individuals, he was teaching them and therefore teaching us. So I, the Lord, help me, help me, help me, Lord. And so what happened, y'all believe in God with me, right? I, and I'll be real honest. I, again, I keep all my notes from ever 35 years. I've never tackled the gospels this way. And so I believe the Lord gave it to me and uh, something, you know, triggered in me because I hear people all the time saying, well, you know, you're not acting like a Christian when Jesus was on the earth. He did this, this, and this. And every time somebody says that, that I know is not even born again, it bothers me. How do you get off telling me what Jesus said and you don't even believe in it? Did I say that right? Yeah. Am I going to apologize for it? No. Why in the world are you letting somebody who doesn't even know him tell you what Jesus would do? Because we don't have to know what Jesus would do. We know what Jesus did. And we know what Jesus said. And everything that's important was written down. Because the Bible said that there's not enough paper in the world that would contain all that he did in those even three and a half years. That's a lot of stuff. But we got what we needed. I said, we got what we needed. We got what we needed. And so when I begin this, I just, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at how he taught the multitudes. Who's in a multitude? Well, in those multitudes, first of all, there are people just coming to get healed. I think in some parts, they weren't interested in anything else. They just wanted healed. And so they showed up by the masses. And then there's those disciples, all those group of people. And then in every crowd, there's some Pharisees and Sadducees because they were always looking to get him. So in every crowd, he's, you got a multitude. You got people who came just to get something, just to get healing. You got, you got, you got naysayers. You got people who love you and you just got looky lose. You know, those that go by, you know, you're driving on the interstate and it's all backed up for hours and hours and you get up there and it's just somebody changing a flat tire and you wonder, have you ever not seen a flat tire before? Why can't you just keep on going? You got some looky lose. You got some rubberneckers. You know what I'm saying? And that's what his crowd was full of. And so when he's teaching, the Holy Ghost gave him stuff that applied to everybody. 
Now, I've said this before, and I don't ever want you to, to think different of it. Yes, you and I are part of the church, and we get our main doctrine from the epistles, but you'll never throw out what Jesus said. You don't even want to throw out what the Old Testament says. You need to read the Psalms. You need to study the Proverbs. You need the, the New Testament writers by the whole because the Holy Ghost wrote it all through holy men of old. But he's even expecting you to be familiar, not just familiar, to know what happened in the Old Covenant. Like I remember someone said that someone gave a man uh, a New Testament who had just got born again. And he was like, I think it was way, way back when, he wrote to him and said, where's the rest of the book? So you ought to know there's the rest of the book. So anyone who teaches you, you don't need to read the Old Testament anymore. You need to turn them off, hit the mute button, because that is not true. Jesus quoted it. It's good enough for me. The Apostle Paul quoted it. It's good enough for me. You've got to discern, though, what, what applies to you. But it's all God, and it's all good. All the Word of God is profitable. Amen? So, he, so let's look at the multitude. So um, he gave two big sermons Jesus did. One was the Sermon on the Mount, and one was the Sermon in the Plains. And so we're all more familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, so I want to start with the Sermon on the Plains. Luke chapter 6, um, and I want to show you that he is ministering to the multitudes. So Luke 6 um, I'll read this part out of the King James, but a lot of the rest I'm going to read out of the New Living because it's uh, really a lot. So Luke 6, um, 17, and he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples. So there and a great multitude. So who's there? The disciples and a great multitude of people came out from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. So there's a lot of them there who want to be healed. But how many know there's a multitude? How many is in a multitude? That means it's too many to count. It means there's a lot more than what's in here this morning. It's a multitude. Because a multitude, when the Bible says multitude, it means you can't count them. And from the Sea of Coast, so they came out to be healed. And then it says um, in verse 18, they were all, there was others vexed with unclean spirits, and, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. How much? The whole multitude. And there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And then he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Oh, no, it said his disciples. So he may have been focusing on the disciples, but the multitude is all still there. How do I know that? Chapter 7 of Luke, verse number 1. Now, when he had ended all his sayings, in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. So there's an audience. There's a multitude. And why does this make a difference? I think it only makes a difference because I, he does teach different to the multitudes the Pharisees and the small groups and individuals. So multitude, he, he, the Holy Ghost is teaching through him, and it's a wide range of people. So I want you to see that. Matthew chapter 4, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, um, Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 4. Matthew 4, 25. And they fo followed him a great multitude. How many? A multitude of people from Galilee and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, and from Judea. So these are two different locations that Jesus is going to give these messages. And seeing the multitudes, he went up to the mountain, and he was set. The disciples came unto him. And then, if you see this again in uh, chapter 7, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Come on, y'all think I, I can go long for 45 minutes. This was a long sermon. He covered a lot of stuff. 
And verse 28 says, it came to pass when Jesus ended the sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And then verse, chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So even though it says multitudes, and I'll be honest, when I look at before, I thought sometimes he only taught the disciples, and other people say he did only to his disciples, but I see multitudes on either side of them. And so what I'm seeing is that the Holy Ghost is doing this. Now, I can't teach to you in a setting the Sermon on the Mount and do it justice. And so I was thinking, Lord, do you want me to go through every one of these scriptures? We could be doing this and you'll return. And it's good that you know them. But this is what he said to me because this is the whole thing. What did Jesus really teach and preach? Because you've got to know right now. And so what he told me to do, and the Holy Ghost is smarter than I am, and I'm grateful he's the great teacher. Are y'all believing God today? He said, take the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plains and first cover what Jesus said in both of them. Because that means that's, the most, that's one of the more important things because he covered it twice. And so I thought that was good too. And so um, let's do that. Let's look at Matthew 5. And I'm going to need some help, whoever's upstairs. Matthew 5. We're going to start verse number 3. And we're going to look in the new living. And so this is the Beatitudes. Y'all know the Beatitudes? It says, God blesses those who are poor. Uh, most translations, the Amplified Classic says, this one is poor in spirit. And realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So it doesn't matter where you start out. What he's saying is the kingdom of heaven, the what? The kingdom is yours. So it doesn't matter. You're starting in station. I, if I stop preaching all these, we're going to be here a minute. But, but so he's not talking about, it, 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 I, you know, poor folks are who he wants. Because if you know the scripture, you know he turns a poor folk and he raises you up from the dunghill and sets you with the princes of his people. Verse 4. So this is who God, God blesses those who mourn. So he's like, if you've ever had anything happen, what's going to happen? The Holy Ghost is going to comfort you. God's going to comfort you. In the kingdom, if you mourn, you're going to be comforted. You're not going to stay there. He's talking about this is what happens. If this is going on in your life, then you're blessed when you enter the kingdom because this is what's going to happen. So if you're in mourning when you come in, you're, the Holy Ghost is going to comfort you. Verse 5. God, he's not saying God blesses you when you're always crying, when you're always poor. That's not what this is. He's saying this is kingdom living. If you come in this way, this is what I'm going to do for you. God blesses those that are humble. How many of you know we have to humble ourselves? For they shall inherit, that's a big one, the whole earth. How, how big is the whole earth? It's pretty big. Verse 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for, I like righteousness is a better translation. The New Living Translation is justice, for they will be satisfied. Verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful because they'll be shown mercy. In other words, when you come into the kingdom, you begin to show people mercy. You'll receive mercy, whatever you sow, you reap. Verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. They will see God. Verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace. 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 The Lord likes some peace in his kingdom. And they'll be called the children of God. So if you're a child of God, you ought to be walking in peace. You ought to be distributing peace. You ought to be surrounded by peace. Your mind ought to get stayed on him so you'll keep in perfect peace. And you ought to shun chaos. You ought to shun those things. You ought to stay away from those things. Verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for, do, uh -oh, persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because they are my because because you're my followers. So people talk trash about you because you're a Christian. Ooh, what happens? That means you're going to be blessed. Hallelujah. Verse 12. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great award, a reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Let's look at Luke 6, 20 through 23. These are a little, little, little shorter. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 through 23. Uh, New Living, please. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Again, we know he's not saying you need to stay poor and that's why you'll be blessed. He's saying you enter in poor because the rest of the scripture definitely teaches us that God wants to lift you up. Can you see that? Verse 21. God blesses you who are hungry now because you're going to be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now because in due time you will laugh. Verse 22. What, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? Verse 23. When this happens, be happy. Everybody say, I'm happy. Yes, leap for joy. Somebody leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. So here in both parts, you see some blessings. You see, this is what the Lord. So what did you should you get out of it? So you should look and see, if I enter in this way to the kingdom, this is what he's going to do. This is the kind of heart he's looking for someone that can operate in the kingdom. You can't operate in the kingdom unless you have a humble heart. And you got to be aware, yes, if you're really doing this right, people are going to persecute you. People are going to mock you. People are going to make fun of you. The world right now is back to, in a greater way than they ever have been, about mocking the things of God. It's nothing new, though, with God. But it's maybe new for you. But what you got to determine is, you know what? If I stand up for Jesus, if I tell everybody I believe in him and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and healing and prosperity and that all the promises of God are yes and amen and they mock me, they make fun of me, then happy am I. They mocked him. They mocked the prophets. And if, if someone doesn't have a problem with what you're saying, then you're probably saying the same thing they say. Hallelujah. we got to stand up for the word of God. Everybody say, I'm blessed. So those are the blessings. And then, um, so Jesus told us what he considers, uh, so what he can bless and who he wants us to be and what is available in the kingdom or what kingdom living is like. And then another thing that he said to both groups, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plains, was that what, how to deal with, because remember he said uh, those that persecute, how to deal with the enemies of the kingdom. How do we really deal with the enemies of the kingdom? Matthew chapter 5. I was going to do some other things, but I see I'm not going to have time for it. I might go back and get them later in the, in the blessings, the Beatitudes. But Matthew chapter 5, let's look at verses 38 through 48. Again, a lot of reading, but in the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard the, lo- and you heard the law that says the punishment uh, must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Keep going, just keep going. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other one also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. 
If a soldier demands, listen to me, you study these two scriptures and you and I have been, I, uh, not you, I have been guilty of plucking some of them out. And so we like the ones we like and we ignore the ones that we don't like. You cannot ignore this anymore hereafter today. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Well, this doesn't apply to us anymore. Then none of it applies. It all applies. This is his heart. This is, this is the sermon. This is what he's saying. This is how I want you to act if you're in the kingdom. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Help us. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What are you supposed to do with your enemies? Love them and pray for them. And in that way, you'll be acting as the true children of your Father in heaven. If you act that way, you're acting like true children. If you act another way, you ain't acting like a child of God. For he gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Hallelujah. Keep on moving. Hallelujah. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you only love those who love you, then you're no different. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But if you are to be perfect or mature, even as your father in heaven, it's perfect or mature. Uh, grown up. Hallelujah. Let's look at another one. You having fun? Luke chapter 6. Come on, y'all. This is meat stuff. This is what Jesus preached. What did Jesus preach? What did he want you to know? How did he want you to act? Luke chapter 6, verse 27, New Living. But to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good, those, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. He told him that twice. Hallelujah. If someone demands your coat, give him your shirt. Even my new one? Give to anyone who asks, and when they are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. <laughs> do to others as you would like them to do to you. <laughs> Keep moving. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, what, why, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be paid. Then your reward will be in heaven, will be very great, and you'll be truly acting like the children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. And I heard you say, Lord, help us. I heard you say, Lord, increase my faith. And I said that because I was really studying it and I was going to do some other. I said, Lord, increase my faith. And that reminded me, and he took me like lickety split, lickety split. He took me to Luke 17. He didn't even give me a breath. He said, go look, go look, go look at this. So let's look at Luke 17. We can look at this in the King James. I don't know which translation you have it ready in. Uh, Luke 17, 1 through 6. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him who through they come. 
It is better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and he cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself if your brother trespassed against you, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespassed against you seven times in a day, what is it? I think it's Matthew 18, 22. It says 70 times seven. It's too much. Um, and if he trespassed against you seven times, I think seven's plenty. And seven times a day, and turn and say, I repent, then you should do what? And then the apostle, probably Peter, said to the Lord, increase our faith. And you know, Jesus said, that's a great prayer, Peter. Let, let me increase your faith. Is that what he said? Because see, you hear that. I'm supposed to turn, he slapped me on one cheek, and I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I get, he wants my coat, and I'm supposed to give him my brand new shirt I just got in the mail from Amazon? I'm supposed to give him money and not expect it back? Are you kidding me? Yes, I just want to be nice to people who are nice to me. Why do I want to be nice to them if they're not nice to me? Because Jesus said to. You mean I can't hate them? No. (laughs) No, you can't. Anything that stirs you up to hate the harvest, anything that stirs you up to despise people is not of God. You can be angry about sin. You can be angry about some of the way things are going, but you cannot hate people. Jesus died for them. You can hate what they do, but you, you, and a lot of people can't do that. They can't separate from what they do and who they are, but who they are are sinners with a fallen nature. And if you can't divide the two, then you just love the person. You don't have to agree. Don't ever agree with the sin. Don't ever accept the sin. Don't ever let that get on you. Don't let it change your mind. But he said, you're going to have to love your enemies. Both cheeks? And I was just reading that, and I didn't say, oh, Lord, help me. Increase my faith. And then, because, but, and Peter, or the apostle, I think it's Peter, he said, Lord, increase our faith. Do you know the Lord didn't say, okay, Peter, I'll do that? So anytime you heard something from the Lord, faith came. Faith came to do it or just hear it? When, fa- when you hear the word of God, does faith come just to hear it or does faith come to do it? And when you hear it and you dismiss it, then you just had DOA faith. Anything from the word of God is meant to be acted on. And you have to be careful, and I do believe faith grows, but you've got to be very careful. I'm just going to throw this in here because the Lord told me to, I believe. Be careful that you're waiting for, always waiting for your faith to grow. Do you need to mature? Do you need to keep hearing the word of God? But be careful because the devil will jump on your shoulder and always tell you your faith is not there yet. Remember when Peter was walking on the water, Jesus didn't say you had little faith. He said your faith only lasted a little while because he walked on the water. The dude had some faith. Hey, you ever walked on the water? Pastor Ron is not in here. I know she thinks I walk on water, but I don't. (laughs) Come on. He walked on water. And Jesus said, why did your faith only last a little while? He wasn't talking about a mount there. Because he, Jesus answered and said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. 
How many know that? Why do you use that? Because it's itty-bitty. You can't see it. But it produces some stuff. So how many know after you got born again? See, before you got born again, I don't know that you had the measure of faith. But once you got born again, you got the measure of faith. And so every one of us have the ability to believe God. Don't go out of here and say, Pastor Mark said I didn't need to grow my faith. I'm not saying that. You need to grow your faith. Hallelujah. You need to grow your faith. But don't wait on your faith to arrive before you start acting on it because the proof that you have faith is that you say something. That's what Jesus said. He said, because Peter or the apostle said, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, if I got to turn my other cheek, I'm going to have to have some more faith. Lord, 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 if I'm going to have to lend to somebody and they ought to pay me back and I just give it to them. If someone wants my coat and, and then I'm supposed to give them my shirt. If I'm carrying somebody's stuff for a mile and you say I got to go too. Good thing I've been working on the treadmill. Whatever, but, but, but Lord, I can't do that on my own. He's not expecting you to do it on your own. He's expecting you to do that out of your born again, new creature that you are. And you're supposed to be doing it with the grace and the faith that God gave you. And it's, it's going to take grace and it's going to take faith. But it's not like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, you're not supposed to do it in your own strength. And if you try to do it in your own strength, then it won't come out right anyway. But you do it by the strength. If he said do it, just like you grabbing a hold of healing, just like you grabbing a hold of finances. If he said do it, then you can do it. Because when you hear it, faith comes. And so I'm going to start acting on it. And he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say, so what do you got to say? You got to say, I love my enemies. If one slaps me on one cheek, I'm going to give him the other one. I, I see some of you guys. I'm reminded, this ain't easy. I was on a flight home from India. Some dude behind me popped me upside the head because I leaned my chair back. I came up, and I have since learned you don't fight. With, I mean, I, I, you can tell I don't fight much. Because I would, I, I, and there was guys in the church said, Pastor, never put your thumb on the inside, you'll break it. So that tells me you fought a lot. Hallelujah. But I came up, and my wife, she pulled me back down because I had my fist wrongly clenched. I did, man. I was going to pop him. Pastor, you just got done preaching. I know. No, I was going to preach. I was going to preach. I wanted to punch him so bad. And I, he was old. I could have took him. <laughs> then I got off the plane and 30 or 40 guys met him. I think he was a government official. Anyway. <laughs> Indian jail for you. <laughs> this is not something you can do in your own strength. Is it something we ought to live, though? I lost half of you. I lost seven-eighths of you. We can't. No, you can't do it in your flesh. You can't. It's just like everything else. you got to do it by faith. And if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say, hallelujah. Y'all good? Oh, while we're having so much fun, let's keep moving. Hallelujah. So a lot, the other thing that he said is found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, he said this, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon in the Plains. Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 6 in the New Living. Uh, don't judge others and you'll not be judged. So if you judge others, you will be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. 
The standard you use in judging is the standard which you will be judged. Verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Who's talking here? Jesus. Jesus. Who's he talking to? The disciples, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the multitude, people who came to be healed. Verse 5. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, he didn't say don't get rid of it. He said, but deal with yourself first. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. But he said, you got a log, they got a speck. Sounds like a song. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Don't waste what, then he throws this in. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. He also talked about this in Luke. Luke 6, 37. Y'all having a good time? Do not judge others, and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Verse 41. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Verse 42. How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Everybody say glory. glory. Hallelujah. Well, just so you think that this is not a big deal, um, uh, let, let, let's look at James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Can you all listen faster? Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to talk about it. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art the judge. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemns yourself. For thou that judgest does the same things. Verse 2. Verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. Verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do the things and does the same, that thou will escape the judgment of God. So one of the things you can tell when people are judging about something, the Bible says probably they're doing it themselves. They don't like themselves, and so they judge others. So you've got to be really careful about that. Well, Pastor Mark, I thought we were supposed to judge. You're supposed to judge sin. You're supposed to judge yourself. But even other things going on, you can judge sin. That's sin but without judging the person. Listen to me again. I keep saying this to you. But people with fallen natures are sinners and the sinners sin. And if you expect anything but a sinner to sin, you don't know what's going on. You are more aware of natural things than spiritual things. Sinners sin. Sinners lie. Sinners cheat. Sinners steal. Sinners don't do right. And for you to put your confidence in a sinner is really ridiculous. Well, how do I know if they're a sinner? You sh- oh, I'm glad you asked. I want to get to it. You shall know. Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruits. Well, I can't tell if someone's born again or not. Come on, give me a break. That's not what the Bible teaches. You can show mercy. Don't, don't, you don't have to judge somebody. But you, will, you and I are going to be judging angels. So we do need to know how to judge. But it starts with judge yourself. 
But if you're judging a sinner because they sin, that's ridiculous because birds fly, fish swim, dogs bark, cats meow. It's in their nature. And you and I have a new nature, and we're still working on it. So everybody say, I won't be judgy. That'll set you free. It is not your job to judge everybody. You judge sin, call sin, sin. Don't yield. The word of God is true. I I can judge sin without judging you. Right? And then who are we supposed to judge? Judge yourself. Right? So God wants you to have judgment. Are y'all good? Well, let's look at this one. Can you take one more? Well, I got two more. Hallelujah. But I know you can take one more. And to both the Mount, Sermon on the Mount and Sermon on the Plains, um, Matthew 7, Matthew 7. You don't seem as excited about this as I am. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, New Living. says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. So I thought we weren't supposed to judge. Well, no, you're looking at someone's fruit. And what are you doing? By the way they act. So that means if someone's fruit is not lining up with what they say, then I can judge that. I'm not judging them, but I don't have to receive from them because one, he's talking about a false prophet. But the way they act, can you, can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? Verse 17. A good tree produces good fruit. So that's you, right? Come on, somebody say, that's me. A bad tree produces bad fruit, right? 18. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. What is that? Nature. Whether you've got a born again or a fallen, verse 19. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire, verse 20. Yea, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So if someone is acting like a sinner, talking like a sinner, walking like a sinner, doing like a sinner, they're probably a sinner. Yeah, but no, there is no but. Jesus said so. Praise the Lord. Where's the mercy in that? Oh, there's lots of mercy in that. If someone's a sinner, they can be saved by God's amazing grace. And they can get a whole new nature. And he can raise them up from a dunghill. What are we supposed to do with that sinner? Love them, not hate them. Minister to them, not stay away from them. Pray for them, not despise them. Hallelujah. Luke 6, 43 through 45. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. So you're a good tree? So you can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. Who said so? Jesus. Verse 44. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Verse 45. A good, produce, a good person produces good things from the treasury of the heart. An evil produces evil things from the treasury of the evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So you shall know them by their fruit is what Jesus said, right? So people will know us by our fruit. So you and I ought to be producing some good fruit. And from that, people can see that. 
But what you can also know is if someone's producing bad fruit, you know their tree is bad, meaning not born again. Anybody, anywhere, any position. Anyone. Why do you put your confidence in a tree that is producing fruit you should not eat from? Your confidence is only in God. But we live here. I know. But I'm just passing through. Are you? Or is all your hope in this momentary life? Or are we building a kingdom that lasts forever with Jesus? And he's telling us how to operate in the kingdom while you're on the earth so that you can have kingdom principles in your life all day long. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10 goes along with this. 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. I know this is not going to make you shout today, but it is going to make you and me aware of what Jesus wants out of us. It's going to cause us to grow up. It's going to cause us to be more discerning. What, what really is the kingdom of God like? What does Jesus, the head of church, really expect from us? I know this is not cotton candy. I know it's not cotton candy. Sometimes the, the word of God is like honey, and that's good, and you need that sometimes. But uh, you need some protein right now. You need some protein. Build some muscles. Amen. Some faith muscles. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteous is righteous, even as he is righteous. How I many of you can't do righteous if you're not righteous? Verse 8. Verse 8. He that commits sin is from the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Verse 9. Whoever is born of God, say, I'm born of God, does not... Practice and live in sin. It doesn't say that, you know, we thank God we have 1 John 1 9. If you sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. This is talking about someone who's living in sin because their nature is still that bad tree. For his seed remains in him, he cannot sin because he's born of God. Verse 10. If you're born of God and you sin, it's gonna bother you. And this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whoever does not righteous is not of God, neither he that uh, he doesn't love his brother. So someone who hates his brother, it is a sure tale sign they are not born again. You can't hate someone you do see and pretend like you love someone you cannot see. If you love someone who you cannot see, you will show that love. Again, it's not acceptance uh, of their sin or saying that God made me this way or, or this is who I am today and who I'll be tomorrow. And all. No, no, no. You can judge sin. Just don't judge the person. And if you're a good tree, you're going to produce good fruit. If, a bad, if it's a bad tree, it's going to produce sin. It's going to produce evil fruit. Amen. I want to leave you with this one. And uh, I think the Lord did this on purpose uh, because it's kind of the last um, um, but I'm going to rehearse this again to you as we close. Can y'all handle one more? Yes. I'm going to review a little bit from last week. But, uh, but this was in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plains. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Verse 25, though the rain comes, how many know the rain's coming? The torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse. Everybody say it won't collapse. Because it's built on bedrock or built on the rock. Verse 26, 
But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey. So he's just taught the Sermon on the Mount. He's just taught the Sermon on the Plains. And he's telling them, if you don't put this into practice, then you're building your house on sinking sand. But if you put what I just told you into practice, you're building your house on the rock. Verse 27. When the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Those who built their house on the sand. Hallelujah. Then let's look at Luke, just let's look at uh, verse 6. Luke 6, 46 through 49, just real quick. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you do, don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then and follows it. So there are the, listen to me, the multitudes are there. The disciples are there. The Pharisees and Sadducees are there. Those that have just come to get healed, they're all there. And Jesus has just preached in two different places two masterful sermons that took a very long time. And he told us and he told them what he wants from us. How he expects us to look as we look as we walk in the kingdom. How he expects us to act as we are in the kingdom. How, what he expects us to do as a representation of him on the earth. And then he said, now... If you don't do it, you're going to build your life on the sand. And when the winds come, and they will. And when the rain falls, and it will. And when the floods come, and it will, you're going to crash. But if you'll not just be a hearer of what I've just told you, but a doer thereof, you're going to build your house on a rock. And when the winds and the waves and the floods, the same one that everybody on the planet experiences. Everybody on the planet experiences the same thing. But one stands and one does not. Because one's a hearer only and one's a doer thereof. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay? I will show you what he's like. Someone who comes to me and listens to my teaching then follows it. Verse 48. It's like a person built his house who digs deep. Everybody say, that's me. Say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a digger deeper. And lays the foundation on a solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and the break against the house, it stands firm. Come on, what's the Lord doing? He is building us for whatever comes. I said he's building you for whatever comes. Verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds his house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of... doesn't matter how pretty it is. doesn't matter how rich it is. doesn't matter what it looks like, where it came from, what school it went to. If you don't build your life on the word, if you don't do the word, it eventually will collapse. How many of you know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone? It's not just a good name for a church. I remember when the Lord gave me this name, cornerstone, word of life. Cornerstone, make me the foundation of their life. Word of life, make sure it's the word of God that brings life. The church, a gathering together. Cornerstone, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. I know I've given you a lot of scripture today, but that's good, right? In order for something to be scriptural, you need scripture. Wherefore also is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Is he precious to you? But unto them which be disobedient or don't believe the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, verse 8. And then to, to you and I, listen, 
I don't know if I'm, I'm not going to have time to get at all of it. But to you and I, he's our cornerstone. He's where we build our foundation. But to someone who's not born again, who is he? He's a stumbling stone. They're going to stumble over him the rest of their life. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, where also they were appointed. So everybody should make Jesus the cornerstone. Everybody should make that cornerstone. Uh, him being the foundation causes us all to be fitly joined together. Amen. Let's look at Romans 9.33 real quick. Romans 9.33. It is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And that's where I want to leave you. Listen to me. Whether you and I are practicing all the things that are in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plains, yet we're going to continue to grow. And, and how do, what do you need to do? I just encourage you. I encourage you. Um, because... If it's not being taught or preached, you're not gonna have faith for it. Because I was really serious. I'll, I'll, just be, I'll just tell you who I am. I was being really serious when I studied that. And when he said, and I've heard it before, I haven't heard it preached a whole lot, but how am I gonna turn, somebody gonna hit me on the cheek and I'm gonna give him my other one? I can't do that. Well, I can't do that in my own strength. I'm supposed to love those Come on, I don't know if you've ever had any practice of this. I have had some practice of this. Love those who lie about you. Love those who hate you. How? Tell me how. That's what, that's what Peter was saying. The apostle was saying, Lord, I'm supposed to forgive him 70 times 7. Tell me how. I need more faith. And then Jesus said, if you had faith, as a grain of mustard seed. In other words, if you heard what I say and you believe what I say, just like you believe, you, come on, you've already done the greatest thing ever. How many of you are born again? Come on, how many of you are born again? You know that if you die, you're going to heaven. You've done the toughest, the biggest miracle there ever was. Before there was even a measure of faith in you, you heard the gospel. You heard the good news. You heard that Jesus died on a cross. You heard that he took your sins. You heard that he took uh, your sickness and disease. You heard that he who knew no sin became sin. And you heard that he was raised from the dead. And you believed that. And when you believe that in your heart and confess that out of your mouth, you got born again. You've already done what I think is the biggest miracle ever. You've got a new recreated spirit on the inside of you. You didn't get a repaired one. You got a new one. That's the biggest miracle ever. Everything after that, come on, we can do this. If he tells me something that I can't do in my flesh, that's good. Then I'm going to lean way back on him and his grace. And I'm going to believe that I can do it and I'm going to say I can do it. This is a lot to put in practice. But if I can just give you some of those things or remind you of them and then go back and look at them. Go back and look at them.